2: Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Heavy Metal Tones, and me, your podcast host, Tony Evans. Um, I have been away back in the old country for the last few weeks, so I'm really glad to be back in front of the mic. It was really nice to chat with uh, Will last week, uh, past the fall. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed my two um, poorly recorded interviews. I realise now what was I, the mic headphones on, and... If I've got passive and active headphones, and I put them. I must have turned them on, and then it went into active mic, and boom, shitty house sound. Um, well, for me anyway, I'm sure everyone was okay with it. Um, I sort of enjoyed the interviews, but um, what made me think about this episode this week was that I spent um, a few days uh, wandering around the old haunts of London, as you do when you haven't been somewhere for a long time. I hadn't been back in the UK for 20 years, so it was like, okay, this is really good to do. And uh, the first thing I did was I mooched on down on a very cold, uh, uh, wintry morning down to Wardour Street. Now, excuse me. Also in the background, there's music playing. My darling wife, it's in the bedroom, doing other in the other room, and she's got music playing. And even with the two doors shut, this mic may pick it up. If it picks it up, I'm really sorry. It should only just be in the background. It is Brian Ferry. So it's okay. Now. Well, I was going to say, yes, so I was reaching down Wardour Street. Now, everyone being to the UK and knows anything about, well, has any kind of musical nonsense, uh, common sense, uh, nonsense, common sense, would, would, would know where the marquee is, well, where the marquee used to be. So the marquee has been on in several locations, but the one I remember the most was Wardour Street. It's the one I used to go to um, before it moved to Charing Cross Road, I think it moved to. Um, yeah, it did uh yes 105 check cross ready move too but that was um in 19, in 1996 but from 1965 um from 1964 onwards at 165 sorry in 1964 in 1964 at 90 Wardour street, is What i'm trying to say guys in 90 too many numbers and too many numbers and too many numbers. 1964 to 1988 it was at 90 Wardour street now i remember it very very well now what made me feel upset and wanted to talk about this program was an old man alert here, old man alert. I'm going to get into old man mode in a minute, curmudgeonly mode. But I went down Wardour Street and there was no blue plaque to the, to the marquee. There was a blue plaque that said Keith Moon once played here. Uh, but I find that really um, disconcertingly offensive because... Yes, Keith Moon is a very important drummer Wonderful, best one of the best drummers in history And extremely important rock and roll One of my favourite bands of all time But really, just Keith Moon played here Not Jimi Hendrix Not Metallica Not um, Iron Maiden Not, I mean, you know, you name it They've played it there um, You know D- David Bowie, for instance You know um, The Muddy, muddy Waters um, I mean, I could name it so many of them that played there in fact I've got a piece of paper in front of me King Crimson, The Who, Led Zeppelin, The Yardbirds, Jimi Hendrix, Pink Floyd Jeff O'Toole yes you know not to mention all the punk bands all the heavy rock bands uh, and so on Um, now I know I know that The Clash and, and all these people now I know that nothing nothing can um uh, I mean the s uh, Jeffrey B side, um a song for Jeffrey was recorded there. The B side to um I can't remember which one it's B-side is B side is tuna now, I've gone blank. it doesn't matter. Anyway, it's B side. Doesn't matter. That aside, lots of st- lots and lots of history recorded this tiny little cavernous um venue. I mean look at the cavern in Liverpool. Now it's the Beatles and I grant you the Beatles are the biggest band in history and so you you know the cavern will be looked after. But the marquee equally, I think, you know, what I'm coming from with this direction, this conversation, is that it seems to me that we just want to. Well, I understand. Um, I understand progress, you know, because I mean, the, the marquee had to move, and it moved. It moved to Charing Cross, and it moved from Charing Cross to Leicester Square, so it had a few, you know, a few lives. Um, but it's not. It's that's not what I'm trying to come. Across, what I'm trying to say here is that. Why are we so willing to pull down and destroy our culture? I don't think it's so much here in Australia, or around the, maybe you don't know in your parts of the world, but it seems to be in the UK that we just bulldoze over our um, our, our arts because it doesn't mean anything. It feels to me, and i mean, here's a bit of a political rant here. It feels like it's a bit of a sort of a Tory thing, you know, a little bit of a uh, little bit of a Conservative Party thing, eh? You know, it doesn't make us um millionaires you know so we're gonna we're gonna pull it it doesn't matter if we pull it down but it does mean so much to all of us i mean i trod the boards at the marquee i'm i you know once held a guitar on that stage it's really important place i mean for those people of my age and older maybe one generation above me so 50 and 60s um they're gonna know what it felt like to go to the Marquee. I mean, I remember my mate Crazy Mark queuing up to see Metallica at the Marquee, you know, really quite important um, part because they weren't, at that time they hadn't quite broken and so it was like just at the beginning of their careers, so they were really cutting edge um, before they become sort of, you know, that bland stuff they sort of went through for a period so I just get my tea I'm recording this later at night so I apologise I've had a long day at work and I'm sort of I was going to toying up whether I have tea or whiskey but I thought well the tea's probably better I'll sleep better anyway so the marquee I'm not going to go into the full history of the marquee I just I just want to say that basically I saw so many bands there you know I saw Marillion there Marillion in fact did a, um, like a, a huge run in the early 80s off the back of this um, the uh, um, Script Justice Tear Tour um, at the marquee, you know, uh, my friends, Bam Ruptured Dog played there. You know, so, I mean, you know, nine 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 UK subs, GBH. I saw. Um, what did I see? I'm trying to think who I saw. I mean, honestly, innumerable amounts of people. I spent a lot of time in that dark and dingy place, and it was what I loved about rock and roll venues. That's what I love about the basement here in Canberra. Is this dark and dingy, smelly, sticky floors. You know, graffiti on the toilets, posters were you know all over the place, beer spilling all over the place. You know, just a place where where true rock and roll um, is born and where true rock and roll lives. You know, it sort of you know you had a lot of blues played there in the '60s, the roots and rock and roots revival. Um, you know, bake sort of in the 1970s, it's when it started to really take off. Um, it, it became the, the, play, that, the place to play. It really, really did. Um, it nurtured a large social scene based around the record industry. Everyone, anyone that was in the record industry, was at that particular venue. You know, it had a VIP bar. I don't know if anyone remembers it, but you would, I mean, on a hot, sweaty Saturday when a band was there, you would get squashed in. There was not a lot of room, was there? And you, you I mean, ah, oh, the buscocks. I saw the buscocks there. And that was crazy. The bass player, um. Was gonna take it. Um, was going fisticuffs with a, <laughs> one of the so-called punks in the front row. It was it was really really funny. You know, status quo played their Bowie filmed the at nineteen eighty floor show at the Marquee for American NBC TV midnight special. Um, you know it was just anyway. I, I mean I could go on and on and on. What I'm saying is where where I'm coming to on this. I mean XTC. Um, as a the bus X-ray specs heading the hot rods. I mean, it became really, I mean, even though it was known for its heavy rock stuff, it was really known for the punk stuff, the Stranglers, Generation X, London, the police, you know, um, the Joy Division, the Sound, the Cure, Roy, Roy Gallagher, you know, all these people, um, all our heroes played there. So what I mean is when we, when you can't stand in the way of progress, right? Progress is progress. I really get that. And you do sometimes have to, expand and grow and move and that's also good as well and and venues do come and live and die and it is a sort of like the music industry i suppose live music venues are like the music industry they'll swell with periods of 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 glut and they'll and they'll shrink in periods of drought um you know and that drought usually is now down to the the uh, modern way we consume music um, our downloads internets, and so on, so we don't need to reach out and go to live acts. Pardon me as much as we used to. I'm sure there are still scenes around in London i'm sure i mean I do know that that the that the um Camden town is still very live, you know the uh, world's end and so on it it um it's still very very um the Camden Palais and so off it's still very vibrant. Not everyone, you know, that's not, you know, it's not a scene for everyone, is it? I do. I remember when names would change but stay the same. Like, I was, I went to the, um, I went to the Mark the Hammersmith Odeon while I was over there in the UK to see Musical Box do the whole of, uh, A Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, which is brilliant. But it's called the Hammersmith it's called the Hammersmith um, event time. Now, it was the Apollo before that. It really doesn't fucking matter, does it? It'll always be the Odeon. You know, it was the, start, the scene of my very first ever live gig. Seeing Black Sabbath, it was it was the Odeon. It will always be the Odeon. In fact, it was weird when I went there. It felt like the train station was closer to the venue than it used to be. I don't know in 20 years whether that's been built up and moved closer. I, I don't know. But it was still the same place. It still had the same toilets at the back where I threw up. It still had the balcony in the front where I actually ch- when I chucked beer over the top of it. It still had all those nuances. Just a change the name the beauty is it's still the same right you know same shit um same smell but unfortunately um that's not always the case and the marquee was a wonderful classic example of it i do remember roughly when i went back in 90 um in 2003 la- the last time i went back before the last this last one and it was it had been a gay nightclub for a Little while, which I thought, hey, okay, great, that's positive. That's doesn't matter, music's being played here, that's a positive thing. I don't really mind as long as there's live music coming. But no, no, that was it had died really around then anyway. But it just felt very sad. I just I felt this real sense of despair and sadness that there wasn't a big sign saying, Here, once Hendrix played his first London show, or Here is where Maidens, you know, um, sold out prior to signing to EMI. Um, you know, all this sort of stuff. I mean, pubs where these bands played, like, they, they come and go because pubs are transient and they're not known as musical venues, right? You know, coaching horses and stuff like that where Maiden played and um, where the Stranglers played. And all this sort of, it really that's fine because they're just little stingy stages at the behind the back of a pub where a publican is trying to make some extra money on a saturday night get the crowds in but when you've got actually a musical venue designed for musical shows then it is sad when they go now is it an old man thing to think you know am i just being nostalgic uh probably am you know i probably am if you think about um the generations now i don't think the generations now will have that nostalgia but they will eventually because there will be a time when venues that they went to no longer exist and you will walk past there like i did um with a sort of sense of sadness and and depression really i did i had good thoughts because i thought of the things like i went there was a now uh, i don't know if any you guys were going to remember this but there used to be a nightclub down now I couldn't tell you the name of the street. We took a photograph it I can't remember the name of the street, but it was you, you could you walk down it as it's a street that goes towards the the British Telecom Tower. Um and it used to be a club they called Los Lobos and it was a Mexican club and you'd go there and you'd buy very heavily priced tequila off from semi naked um bartenders. Um and you did it because hey you thought that was you know that was the you know you were young and you didn't know any better. Now it would get cancelled, wouldn't it? Because it wouldn't be allowed. But back then, you know, and that wasn't there either. that had gone. I mean, obviously, that sort of thing will come and go because, again, it's a nightclub and musical ch- taste change, don't they? And and concepts of that change. But still, that that side, it was just a really strange day for me. Um, but the marquee. Now, is there any other venue, honestly, apart from the Hammersmith Odeon, any other venue? that really sticks in in the mind of the musical fan of our genre, of a metal genre, of punk and rock, as much as the marquee. Everyone has heard of the marquee, haven't they? I mean, the Who played there before they were signed. I mean, this is an extremely important venue. And we have just culture vulture ruined it, haven't we? We've just destroyed it. Instead of getting a government backing and being you know registered building this is a, a listed building you can't build over it you can't build in it you can't do it no 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 um the, the mighty pound and so it gets moved because all to do with like licensing laws and things like how ridiculous um zoning laws and so it gets moved to the center of into leicester into charing cross road where i also had good experiences in the chain cross road version of it i did see a fair few bands i think the last band i saw there was the uk subs um with gbh i think i remember taking karen to see that gig yeah that was a good gig that one um you know and it was again it wasn't the best venue it was a bit sm- i think if it could be any smaller i think it was those who can reach out and tell me if they remember when it was in Charing Cross, but I remember it being a slightly smaller than the than the marquee on Wardour Street. But again, no plaques anywhere, and there's a good reason why in Charing Cross Road because when I went there um, again a few weeks ago, um, it is completely changed, completely redeveloped, completely different now. What is your? I'd love to know what your your feelings are on this subject. I'm quite emotional about it, actually. I could be more, effusive. I'm not going to be because I don't want to be one of those people. But you know, things do. There is progress. I hear you say yes, but there's going to be progress, Tony. Yeah, I get progress. There's progress, and there's progress, isn't there? Right? There's tearing everything down and completely forgetting it, and then there's being irreverent and saying, "Well, this be this, you know." I hate to say this, but it's so true. The Europeans, the Germans, and the French and the Italians and so on—they really know how to look after their heritage. They wouldn't pull down an important musical venue like that. They just wouldn't do it. It would—it would be—it would, be, would be something that would be revered and looked after, and the government would pay for that place to be open. And they, even if it was—you know what—they could have turned that little venue into a museum. You wouldn't be much, but you—I would pay. Good pounds to go around that, to you know, to look at donated drum kits, donated guitars, photographs of gigs. Go into the hallowed back room with all the graffiti. Is I went in there, you know, and and I wouldn't, and I'd keep the dank people, the dank, Um, you know. They got don't get rid of the dank. Keep the darkness. Keep the stickiness. Keep the, you know, the 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 spirit and. Fire of rock and roll there, and I, it would make a good little museum. And you know what? I reckon you'd get, you would get droves of music nerds heading to the marquee. And every now and again, you could, you could put on a like a you could have a TV screen, right? And like, imagine like a film little film theater at the back. And every now and again, you could put on because there's lots of live videos, lots of live gigs with film there. You could play for a certain fee, entered in in quadraphonic sound with the smell of the venue you could pipe in noise of the crowd and you could have them playing a live you know a video of one of those gigs and they would people would pay top dollar for that but these people don't want to think this way right you know oh we'll we'll, we'll, pre- we'll preserve um this moldy building where someone who is completely irrelevant you know 400 years later and i love history and get me wrong but you know let's keep that but no we won't we we'll, we'll it's like, um, it's like, I love archaeology. I'm a big fan of archaeology. and I would love to have been an archaeologist in a different life. Um, and, you know, we um, study, you know, Neolithic and Paleolithic and um, Romans and Saxons and uh, all, all that stuff. But we don't look at, you know, wartime archaeology, which is disappearing very, very quickly because it's not relevant. It is bloody relevant, and it's and it's more relevant now than ever before. And I think it's the same with the, these music in venues, as as the music industry's um, history is crumbling before our eyes. Um, should we not have some kind of where place where people of our generation and then maybe even our kids, who we could you know um, educate, um, we could take that. And I think that that is a, would have been a great idea. The marquee and i said brilliant you know you could have that venue and you could have those little gigs on video and pay that you know 10 quid Just imagine you pay 10 quid which is like since i've been back that's pennies or 10 pounds for you those aren't you know less posh than more posh than me 10 quid 10 pounds whatever five dollars whatever you whatever it is you you'd pay your fee you'd sit in there for the afternoon or the evening you could do record launches. I went to a fantastic record launch, um, with Stephen Wilson, um, and, uh, Stephen Morris from the Joy Division, um, uh, at the brilliant record store in the East End of London at, um, at, uh, Bigger's Banquet, and it was just, you know, not, sorry, not Bigger's Banquet, that's a different, a different place, God, I'm, seeing, I'm rambling, um, no, not Biggest Banquet, Rough Trade East it was, Rough Trade Records, um, and, no, oh, I don't know why I said Biggest Banquet, it was a punk label, Rough Trade East, and it was amazing, right, it was a record store where, and we all sat down, as about 30 of us, and we I was dutifully near the front of the stage and listened to every word that Steve meant, talked about, and both the Steves and John, the, the curator of the album, it was a basically, it's his album um, of progressive, a compilation of his, his favorite progressive, new waves, and um, punk records, but more in a progressive sound, and it was just it was unbelievable. Um, there, were all, there were all these luminaries there. It was great. Like it was faces. It was a place to be. It was wonderful. And that's the kind of thing you could do. You could do there, right? You could have record launches and in chats. You could have. Um, all sorts of stuff that you could do in that venue and i'm sure that it would make money it, it would make money i think people are just so short-sighted when it comes to this stuff you know but anyway where was i when they were pulling it down and stuffing it with a nail salon or a bloody custard coffee or pret and manger whatever the vacuous thing that they want to do in london these days um but you can still get corners of the world like Rough Trade Records, East and things like that that are full of these music lovers. And it was a great. We sat there. It was about 30 of us. And it really felt... Um, I actually picked up a, a signed test pressing of the album. It was great. But, um, you know, it was a real sense of music nerds. It's the wrong term. People who love music. Music lovers getting together and, and talking about music and in a different way. that was And it was more... I hope I like this but like this show like I try to be a little bit more um, a little bit more in depth a little bit more interesting than just hey that sound good sound man you know it's, it was it's a little bit more esoteric I think is the wrong word probably the right word but also the wrong word just more to get your teeth into you know what I mean and, and, and this is the sort of thing that when like we've got Record Store Day coming up on April the 22nd which I'm really excited about and this is another thing that that sort of thing is important that we keep that going, but again, that's another episode, another story. But another thing that I found in London that really deserted my made my heart sink was I couldn't find a decent record store. Nowhere, absolutely nowhere. You know, I had to travel. I look, I googled it, and I'd have to travel into right into the east end of London. Um, I didn't mind that because one of my favorite fish and chip shops. I don't eat fish or, or meat, but I do love chips, and they were peppy. Poppy's Chip Shop um, in Spitalfields is a place to behold anyway um, you know you couldn't you can't get a decent chip in London anymore you can't get a decent curry in London which is really outstandingly outrageous and no record stores so it was just very strange I'm not trying to put you off going to London London's a bloody amazing place I mean it's um, it's it's the cultural centre of the world in my opinion but it it's just changed a bit for me and the little bits I was looking forward to weren't there. I was only there to look after my father, I wasn't there to party up, but it was nice to get away and do things. And that was one of those things I didn't, couldn't find. I had to travel to the East End to get a decent chip. That is weird. Um, anyway, no record shops, couldn't find one. Now, maybe I wasn't looking hard enough, maybe I didn't have time. But did I, in the one or two days I had spared to myself, when after I was looking with da- after dad, I didn't have the time to go you know, all that way and I I went to Camden Markets and they, there was one or two there but they were typically overpriced tourist uh, vinyl traps and I don't like that sort of stuff I'm anti against that really don't tell me you want to charge me 40 quid for a dodgy copy of um, um, Still Got The Blues it was re- issued, you know not even a special edition just a really thinly printed um, reissue, in fact I think it wasn't even a first issue but anyway that aside. That aside. So that was the marquee. One of the venues that upset me. Um, I've got one that upset me even more when we come back after the break. Now I don't I'm not trying to bring you guys on a down, I'm just trying to say that hey, it, what's happening to our cultural heritage, where is it and why is it happening and it shouldn't happen. And there are ways around fixing these things. Renaming is fine, calling the Apollo, the event time. Calling the Amosavodian, the event time, or the Apollo, it doesn't matter. It's still the same fucking building. It's still the same history. It's still the same heritage. It's just a different wrapper, right? Anyway, um, I'm going to have a break now. I'm going to warm my tea up, and I'll see you on the other side. Bye for now, guys.
1: This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June.
2: Welcome back, guys, to part two of Heavy Metal Tones. Uh, I walked down memory lane, re live venues and how it made me feel, uh, reaction. I did do a, uh, a TikTok, you know, I'm down with the homies, um, videos, as you might see if you go to my web, my Facebook page, and uh, I did discuss this. Now, the second venue, actually, the, the I knew Sword of the Marquee had gone. That wasn't an issue when I went back. It was a blue plaque that upset me. What really? My if he also. By the way, sorry in the background. My wife is now singing "Bang a Gong" by uh, uh, T Rex in the other room. So uh, if he comes through now and again, I apologise. I doubt it, but anyway, that she's having fun. So yeah. So the um, the, sick, the one that really hurt the most. Now, renames as it doesn't bother me. Like you know, I had a lot of fun a lot of venues, I remember when it used to be those old, my generation older remember the Kentish Town and Country Club then became the Forum I think it's still the Forum, I could be wrong, I didn't go looking for it to be honest because I only ever used to go there if there was a gigs on and again I saw Stiff Little Fingers, Fish, Marillion, The Damned um, I've made mean, a lot of punk stuff if I have to think about it most of the metal stuff I saw was usually in the smaller venues, maybe in things like mably maybe in things like um, uh, sort of local pubs and stuff. Um, big acts were usually in big venues like, you know, the um, Wembley Arena and things like that. Anyway, I got off the train at Tottenham Court Road, and those that know London will know where Tottenham Court Road is, Tottenham Court Road. Now there is not there has been a vast expansion of the underground system in London since I've been there, and of course because London is expanding I and mean, has a very large population, and so they need to get their population around the city. and It is an amazing, the greatest underground system in the world, the greatest mass transport situa- um, system on the planet. New York, you can fuck off. London, it definitely is. I had people had big arguments about London, New York being the the best. It is not, clearly not. London is the oldest and the most extensive. You can get from anywhere to anywhere quickly in London on the underground. It's safe and extremely affordable if you live in the city. Not as a tourist, I found it a bit expensive. But, um, you know, weird calling myself a tourist in my own city. But I was, and I am. And I got off a train, train station. Now, they just recently built this new wonderful train line that goes from Heathrow all the way out to the sticks, the other end called the Elizabeth Line. It is beautiful. It is swish, clean, bright, fast, safe. And it just gets you there. You can get on at most Elizabeth like Tomical Road Station and be in Heathrow in 15 minutes, 20 minutes max. It's it's really, really good for international tourists. Um, but when I got off I went oh, you know I looked over the road and there's the Dominion and that was a theatre that I saw many great live shows in. Time, the musical, I saw Phil Call, cool, the comedian. Those that don't know um, who Phil Call cool is, um, well, look him up. He's the Paul Funny Faces. Anyway, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic times. And I, uh, I, well, okay, that's still there. And I turned around and I walked up the road and. Comic book shop that I used to go to a lot. That I used to go to back when it was on Denmark Street, Forbidden Planet. That's gone. I thought, oh, okay, COVID and things like that. You know, okay, you know, changing tastes of, of of um. People don't want comics anymore. and All that kind of stuff. Anyway, I turned to my left. And looked straight up. Topical Road, and what did I not see? What i didn't what i did see was two dirty great big modernist uh, millennium style uh, glass and brick buildings that look like they should be in japan or new york big you know 50 foot video screens flashing images of cartier and tiffany and whatever flashing itself up there and I looked over and they would, what was a completely obvious that wasn't there was the Astoria. Now, the Astoria means a lot more to me than the Marquis. The reason the Astoria... I'm going to get some paper here. Russell, Russell. Quality radio, quality program. Quality... Listen to this, listen to this. Oh, my God. Where is my Astoria? Um, that's it. Separate paper. The Astoria means a lot to me because it was my a formative venue. I went there when I was in my when I was 17, to a nightclub. Um, I think it was called the Spiderweb. I, I again, I'm vague, right? I can't find the information on it online. It was a heavy metal nightclub. You had to be 18 to get in because it was alcohol served. I was 17. I blacked myself in with my much older mates. I met lots of girls there, scantily dressed in all sorts of risque. Um, most of them were barely dressed to be honest it was a it was a fantastic fantastic night I couldn't afford to drink a lot so I'd buy one pint make it last the evening I was lucky someone else might buy me one um, or you know you know you might take some kind of substance that might make sure you don't need to have alcohol um, I'm not condoning that we just did now the Astoria the 157 Charing Cross Road Originally a warehouse in the 1920s, became a cinema and then a ballroom, then was converted to a theatre in the 70s and reopened in the mid-80s as a nightclub and a music venue. Um, I, It is important to me because that's the very first place I took my darling wife Karen to a gig um, as a couple. I took her to see The Damned and The Anti-Nowhere League. And it was possibly one of the most enjoyable evenings of my life musically it was brilliant the Damned were going for a bit of that phase with you know the eloise phase with the the big hair and the you know the the goth thing which isn't really my scene of the damned i'm more your machine gun etiquette as you know um damn damn damned and you know that sort of stuff strawberries but i don't really do the the i didn't really enjoy phantasmagoria it wasn't my kind of thing but that was what they were you know uh, um, the Antinoe League with the Antino Willig, mate. You, are never gonna get a band like them anywhere else on the planet. Um, if you don't know who they are, I'm not gonna explain to you. Do yourself a favour, tune into them. Do it somewhere quiet. Don't do it loud. William, you know your Saintly aunts might be around because there are lyrics to songs like Woman and Snowman um, and uh, So What that might um, cause offence to some wokest of our society anyway that aside um, it had a beautiful theater front just like um, you know like an old cinema It had a hoarding and it was he had neoclassical architecture he had two levels you had the balcony at the top I remember sitting behind this guy Karen was I think at the time was pregnant we went there for the second time or third time and the guy behind in front of us had this he had a toy new I think we were seeing the stiff little fingers and he had a huge mahican, and he was we had a toy dolls shirt on it and i love the toy dolls and all i could think of my head was that song nearly the you know they did and um again you youtube that absolutely brilliant fun but yeah and so really important personal to me right personal to my, uh, my development my life my personal development my relationship and my music development and i saw what Goren called the greatest gig of all time which was Killing Joke in 1994 um, and it was on the back of the Pandemonium tour and it was to say life changing it's really twee and overused but fuck it was an amazing gig it, I, like with all Killing Joke gigs, I don't remember the start, don't remember the middle and don't remember the end, I had to get into a trance and get into this rhythmic moment and it's and it's it's over it's a mixture of tribal dancing head banging pogoing um punch-ups and spinning around and, and it's what it was just it's everything i'm not I, you know, i've already described how much i love that band but amazing right um absolutely amazing it had it held between 1600 to 2000 people And it officially opened as a musical venue in 1976. It says it on January, and it closed on the 15th of January 2009. Now, listen to this for a list of um, listen to this for a list of live recordings that was made at the Astoria. Okay, I'm gonna put out a lot of them, so hold your horses. This could get a bit boring. Generation Generation X. Recorded one off concert performed at the venue on the 20th of September 1983. It was filmed by Chrysalis Records, Jamiroquai, The Smashing Pumpkins, The Cranberries. Um, I've got here New Model Army, The Darkness, Metallica, Uri, Uri- Heap, Twisted System, Meta- uh, Metallic Marillion, Dio, Black Label Society, I mean, Deep Purple, Steve Vai, Diamond Head. Uh, but just a few, I'm, just, I'm, I'm literally just sort of picking. Um sorry, it's really, you know, um, I'm putting this off, see how professional I am. Okay, um, Tangerine Dream, Nirvana, um, Blackstone Cherry, that might be Giant Slipknot, you know. And here's the, sad, here's the sad bit, guys, this is the bit that really I find. Okay, so in June 2006, the story was sold by Cam- the Campio Holdings to property group Derwent Valley Central for $23.75 It was rumoured that the buyers were planning to convert the site into a combination of shops, flats and offices. Oh, I've got to shiver just thinking about it. Taking advantage of the increase in property prices due to the forthcoming 2012 Olympics. Yeah, fuck. On 13th of August 2007, which is my... Darling daughter's birthday. Um, the Festival Republic sold most of its venues and rights to the, name, to the name of the Mean Fiddler. Now, the Mean Fiddler was a venue that in um, in North London or uh, West London, might be. Where is it? North? It's it's in how Harlow. Anyway, um, well, the Mean Fiddler. I'd go live. Here it is with you live. wills doing? I think it is. Sorry. the uh, yeah, Mean Fiddler. Um, the Mink Fiddler God, I typed in the Mink Fiddler <laughs> into my uh, uh, where was it? Okay, here Irish pub, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Okay, Royal Oak, sorry, yes, anyway. I think that's what it is. is. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll do more research but put in the notes. But anyway, The Mean Fiddler was a venue that I used to go to. Again with Karen, it's still there. It's fantastic. Great music. But anyway, it was sold to The Mean Fiddler um, group and, the, and, the, and it retained the Astoria and The Mean Fiddler, which reverted to the old name of the Astoria 2, generally known as LA2. I remember that because I'm a killing joke playing at LA2. And in 2008, it became known as the Astoria would be demolished to make way for the cross rail Link. So the Crossrail link is the great big new underground, as I mentioned, the Elizabeth Line and so on. So the Min Fiddler owned it and sold it, but the Almighty Pound. Now, yes, they would have done their checks. They would have said, right, here is where we're going to put this fucking great big train station. So we need to remove this, and it's a dank old venue, no one cares about. Wrong on so many levels. Um, of course, it's something important look i mean just i just i just run off a list of quickly off top my list of things that were recorded there live you know again it also had that amazing sense of rock and roll because it was like again like an old theater everyone's been to sydney here and has been to um the um the um the venue in sydney which eludes my brain because it's late night now um but anyway, there is there is there is a venue there. that's like an old cinema. that has been converted. Again, sorry, brain fuzz, stupid. It will come to me in a moment, and I'll reply. And I'll tell you. Anyway, those kind of venues that are purpose built, repurpose built from um, from theatres. Again, the Enmore is another one in Sydney. Um, you know, they they, they purpose built them from theatres with. Because no one go the live theatre is a dead art to music because it's it's an easy way of making money because instead of having to set a theatre company up and sit them there for weeks you can bump in and bump out a show every night and each night has a different audience each audience has a different way of spending money more merch dollars more alcohol dollars through the through the the bar whatever it's an easy thing it's easy conversion look at the Hammers it's the same thing okay so. Um, the point is what I'm saying is wrong on so many levels they didn't need to do it I'm sure they could have found a different route but it wasn't important enough was it it wasn't it wasn't a listed building yet had that been listed they would have rerouted that somewhere else now yeah it takes more time you might knock down a different building which again might also break someone's heart but I'm talking about the way that um, the way that, that I feel I feel read this because it's important. I don't have that. I can't go back now with Karen and say, Do you remember this? Do you remember we go in let's where we saw the Anti Noah League in our first date. No, 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 can't do that. Because it it's no longer it's destroyed I and mean, you know the the sad thing about this, until I did research, I was so adamantly one um, in awe of this new um cross rail link. This amazing new train line. Because I grew up on the Northern Line which is a shithole of an of a train line. Dirty and old and carriages are all you know i'm still sure still the same when i left the same they are now um this new train system is fantastic and being a non you know a non-driver and a user of public transport i found it really lovely but then i now have this bittersweet annoyance because i don't have my nightclubs that i went to and you know took illegal substances and drank underage and listened to heavy metal and you know um ponced around like an idiot um in my youth i don't have that i don't have the, the that seat that i sat there I, i'll tell you why it also came back to me it was like when i went to see the land lies down on broadway you got the house of odian there was a guy next to me and he goes look do you mind i'm just gonna i'm just gonna look after my guy i'm just gonna go up up the stairs and he went up to the top of the venue and he sat down in one of the seats and then he sat there for a few minutes he came back and he had a little tear in his eye and he goes you know what he goes, I don't live in, in London anymore, and I'm back here for a few days. Just feel like me. And he goes, that's where I sat in 1977 and saw the I saw Rush in that seat. And I'm like, fucking hell. And I looked up and I thought, can I see the... There it is, there's the seat I sat when I went and saw Black Sabbath. Um, and that, you know, that one act, that one moment for that middle-aged man, that older man, for him... You know, because we're all aging, right? And so, you know, we don't we don't have the we don't have youth on our side, and so we we do look back. As you're older, you look back. You don't look forward. You look back because looking forward as an older man means that the the chasm of 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 your demise. But looking back is 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 memories of your youth and and forever past, right? And you look back he looked back and he had, a, he had, I'm sure, that moment was a really wonderful moment for him. And I had—I felt that very similar thing looking at the hoarding of the, the um, Hamsavonian, thinking, God, I remember queuing here to get my tickets for Marillion and for Fish and for Black Sabbath. And, and there, there, I saw there. And, oh, do you know? Just, anyway. And I thought now, int- retrospectively, there are people that would go to the Astoria you know, and go, I'm going to go and sit on that seat in the balcony at the back there. And no, no, sorry, progress has taken that away from you. Um, Now, it is only, it is elemental, isn't it? Um, Things that I'm talking about, things that are, they're not, it's not, in the great scheme of things, moving people around a major metropolitan city easily and freely, we'll increase money and and, and and more bands and more art and more creativity because people haven't got to worry about how they're getting around the city and you will bring more tourist dollars. And yes, I know, before you start shanking me and saying "But progress is progress, but at the same time, you know, it feels like our culture, particularly our culture, guys, um, is being eroded away a bit by bit bit at a time. Look at I mean, you go to New York, C B G B is still there. You know, it's still there. Right? I mean we already got we've lost the Lyceum to become a, a theatre now that plays the Lion King. Um Lionceum Theatre had it played host to every punk band. It was the venued to place to be in the late seventies, early eighties. It was a shithole. The Pistols played there, X ray specs you name it, they played it, right? Um, now it's a classy theatre that holds a, a major West End musical. Fine, it's progress. It's still being used, you can still go there as a young, you know as a middle-aged man and stand in front and go, "Oh, the last seems look." It's different now, but it's the same. Same with the Hundred Club. The Hundred Club played the very first punk festival ever. It's where um, Sid Vicious played on drums for. Um, a very, for the very first gig ever by Susie Devanchees, it was the first place that French Punk played. It was the first place that the, one of the first places that the Pistols played live. It was where the Clash played one of their first gigs. But that's still there. The Hundred Club is still there because it's a jazz venue, and because it's a jazz venue, it's still there. I still like um in Soho the um, the clubs that the strip clubs that the Pistols played in. They're gone. That's fine because as I said before at the beginning of the show, it's not a purpose built venue. So it will it will die because it was only used as a shock tactic to sell records. And also because no one else would play let them play. Fair enough. And also I think that McLaren and, and the guys like the seediness of it and I agree I loved it. Um, the screen on the green, the screen on the green. The the famous pug gig that everyone went to is still there. In Marswell Hill, you know, but these other venues, these central London venues, they just they've just been taken away. And I think maybe am I am I overthinking it, guys? Am I being too am I being too um, rose tinted? I mean, how do you feel? Are there venues that you in your towns that you um, have gone that that, you, that upset you? I mean. Here in Canberra, I mean, we have the basement and we're very lucky. Um, we had used to have a place here called The Green Room. I love The Green Room. Saw um, um, Hugh Cornwell there, uh, which like 12, there was about six of us. It was amazing. It was an acoustic set. I, it was just astoundingly fantastic. I think Maiden even played a secret gig there at The, at the Green Room, which was crazy. You know, um... Uh, you know we also had like the a, really a dodgy place to be honest it was quite violent and quite dodgy but i loved it and that was the gypsy bar I saw um only saw one band there but it was an eye-opener i saw um the um drop Murphy's there we took my wife we got three tickets and she did, she did not did not we were', we were gonna go backstage which was like nope no nope nope no, let's go home um it was it was a place that it was a bit rough And you know these are the kind of places, these are the kind of things that we miss. Um, I'm rambling now because I just want to say I'm really sad about the Astoria going. And anyone wants to do some research, any any of those bands, you can look at a live and watch a live gig there and see what it was like. Um, Have a look at some pictures. If I can remember, I'll put some pictures up on my um, Facebook page for the Marquee and the Astoria. Both of them epitomized rock and roll to me. Sticky floors loud um terrible sound systems sweat tears blood rock and roll you name it. it it's it's the pure essence of what we listen to. It's the it's the it's the it's the being heart of all of it, isn't it? And and when we take that being heart away, it becomes a dead body, doesn't it? It just dies, it becomes this corporate flaccid um entity that we can all agree is not something we want so anyway i hope that you, that's um you know made you think about some of the venues that you used to haunt when you were younger and if you listen you're young now listen to this and think oh yeah i'm still young enough to not have that you know what then you build those memories go to those venues when there's a band on there even if you're not sure about them buy that ticket go build that memory so when you look back in in 30 years time when they have destroyed it because they will you can go you know what i have that memory and i think that's you could, that one thing they can't take on I mean, you know my father sadly is going through um i would say on early onset it's quite um set in dementia and his memories are all trapped Uh, and disappearing and I I would not want that for me I don't want that for any of you guys so grab those memories while you can and enjoy them while you have them Um, anyway, on that maudlin note um, hopefully next week I will be interviewing uh, Michael from Metal Ruse uh, this time again with my mic working which is great Uh, that would might also be on the YouTube's channels the Metal Ruse YouTube channel once it goes up I'm looking to get him locked in this week, so hopefully that's next week's episode. Um, and then after that, I've got a few good album reviews I'm looking forward to spilling out. So I hope you enjoyed that, um, dip down memory lane, and some sadness sad- and some mem- good memories as well. But as I said, reach out to me at Heavy Metal Tones Facebook page. Um, you can message me or just put it on the Facebook page about the venues that you visited. Are they still around? Have they gone? Did you go to the the very last gig there? Do you remember? And let me know how you feel it made you feel and how it makes you feel. Um, I'm interested to know. Anyway, bye for now, guys. Talk to you next week. Oh, not the mic. Classic time.